This sermon is what happens when I must make plans weeks in advance for Sunday worship and then things change. So I reserve the right to respond without advance notice. And thank you for that grace to be flexible. Originally, I had planned to look at our Thanksgiving holiday as a cultural outflow of gratitude and thankfulness. Both are necessary traits to nurture, although I was going to take a slightly different tack. I looked at envy and jealousy and how they're part of this extended holiday season. (laughs) There'll be many other times to tease out envy's destructiveness and gratitude's power to interrupt its damage. And anyway, most of today's service rightly remains focused on gratitude since it rests at the heart of thanksgiving. At the same time, we're instructed to look at the contradictions and complexities in all parts of life. For example, when we hold a Unitarian Universalist wedding, a truly joyous occasion, we take that time to also name the inevitable pain, sorrow, and hard work of building a new life together. When we hold memorial services, we point out the potential for hope and joy and laughter in the midst of loss. So when we celebrate this Thanksgiving, we can open ourselves to the brutality in its founding to find deeper meaning. We can color this holiday of bounty and communion with honest yet darker reminders of suffering. In Thanksgiving, parallels abound to frame today's refugees fleeing ISIS and Boko Haram or drug cartels in Central America and Mexico. While many of my Christian colleagues are using Advent and Christmas to make connections, I think they're building an unconvincing case that Joseph and Mary are fleeing like refugees when really they're traveling to be counted for the census of the Roman province to pay taxes. And they're not refused entrance. They don't face closed borders nor await an onerous years-long vetting process. Instead, Jesus and Mary are part of a crowd pouring into a city without enough rooms available. It is as if a convention had come to Bethlehem and the Roman governor had not planned enough hotel rooms. On the other hand, the pressures of traveling while Mary is pregnant and the uncertainties they face, that does mirror the hardships today's refugees face. But their motivations aren't the same. Mary and Joseph have no desperate, desperate need to escape chaos and brutality and war. Those come later in the Christmas story when King Herod puts a price on their heads after Jesus is born. So unlike my clergy colleagues, 
I find more connections to our current global crisis of displaced people in our Thanksgiving celebration. And there are dangers in addressing such fresh current events in a sermon. I'm mindful of them. I'm neither a journalist nor historian. Today's news travels so fast, so we all are fairly informed up to a point. However, understanding all the threads of truth and nuances of events takes time. And as a continuous religious community, we can make that time. We can study and examine and contemplate to avoid rushed judgments and brash statements. We're charged to make room for discussion, for listening, for seeking out the unheard stories. Simultaneously, this steeping, giving time, doesn't excuse us from acting quickly and decisively when needed. As an active church, we must both be a preserver of tradition and a critic of contemporary society. We talk about our covenant and relationships at Hope so often because they are the foundation for collectively weighing the events of our day. Without tending to our connections here, we cannot decide when and how to take action. So while considering current events and injustices, we have to heed Martin Luther King Jr.'s advice. He was sitting in the Birmingham jail where he couldn't fully act and participate in the racial justice work. And he writes a letter admonishing the white clergy for their demand that the racial ideas of racial equality needed more time. Don't rush into it, Martin Luther King. And he writes... We know through painful experience that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. Frankly, I have yet to engage in a direct action campaign that was well-timed in the view of those who have not suffered unduly from the disease of segregation. For years now, I've heard the word, wait! It rings in the ear of every Negro with piercing familiarity. This wait has almost always meant never. We must come to see with one of our distinguished jurists that justice too long delayed is justice denied. So with those words, I'm making the case as a church that we both take the time, we wait, to learn, to educate ourselves about the growing worldwide refugee crisis. While we never wait, preparing for any quick actions we can take locally with integrity. Is there anything in the Thanksgiving story to help us? What in our religious teaching and values guide us. A closer look at the history of Thanksgiving roots reveal the meeting of two distinct cultures 
is not a lovely banquet. The power and technology imbalance between the English settlers and the Puritans versus the Pequot and Mohegan and Narragansett people is not part of our rosier version of the early beginnings of our country. It's grim. Native Americans are taken as slaves, flee like modern-day refugees, or die from lack of immunity to European diseases, primarily smallpox. Consider what you know of ISIS or Boko Haram as you hear this history. In, 19, in, well, in 1637, near present-day Groton, Connecticut, over 700 men, women, and children of the Pequot tribe had gathered for their annual Green Corn Festival, which is our Thanksgiving celebration now. In the pre-dawn hours, the sleeping Indians were surrounded by English and Dutch mercenaries who ordered them to come outside. Those who came out were shot or clubbed to death, while the terrified women and children who huddled inside the longhouse were burned alive. The next day, William Bradford, governor of Plymouth Colony, declared a day of thanksgiving. He wrote afterwards, It was a fearful sight to see them thus frying in the fire. Horrible was the stink and scent thereof. But the victory seemed a sweet sacrifice. And they gave the prayers thereof to God, who had wrought so wonderfully for them. It leaves me speechless. For a, for a maybe more light-hearted but still accurate version to bring everyone up to speed, there was a really short video made just two days ago, three minutes. Francesca Ramsey hosts a great show called Decoded. It's not the MTV, those of you who knew the beginnings of MTV. It's changed. And this segment is called Everything You Know About Thanksgiving is Wrong. And I've challenged Larry to play that video. No signal. We'll do our count, our silent count to 12 and then move on. <laughs> what we'd see is a modern family, primarily African-American, gathered around a table. And um, it's clearly a Thanksgiving table, and they've pulled out, wave if it starts, pulled out um, little pilgrim hats that their first grade, one of, the, one of them is a teacher and their first graders have made hats and they all put them on and she shows them drawings they've made of the, that first feast and then one woman takes the drawing and says, 
Well, that's not the story. And people are mortified, and she begins to describe how all of the traditions that we celebrate aren't true, and everyone is stunned. Should we eat this? And they're drinking wine, and she ultimately says, okay, I'm not going to tell you the truth anymore. It's not fun. So I doubt I'm telling you or showing you anything new. Yet bringing forward our nation's collective history of violence, of deadly claims on territory, of founding a nation on the backs of others, helps us be compassionate and shape our responses to today's fleeing people. Is that it? It's fun, so we'll we'll stop. Make sure the sound is up. And I'm thankful for my kindergarten class who made these wonderful crafts to celebrate Thanksgiving. After the Native Americans helped the pilgrims survive their first winter in America, the Puritans invited them to share the first Thanksgiving. Oh, these are adorably wrong. A five-year-old made that based off of the lies that you taught them. Excuse me? Oh, it's not your fault. These are full of half-truths and historical propaganda. I thought the Native Americans and the pilgrims were like besties or whatever. At best, the pilgrims and Wampanoags could be described as political allies. By the time the pilgrims showed up, not only were two-thirds of the Massachusetts tribes completely wiped out by European slave owners and diseases, the pilgrims were constantly at war with the indigenous people and routinely tortured them. But what about Squanto, the Native American who learned English to help out the pilgrims? He was actually a slave that was hauled off to Europe and then he learned English so that he could escape. But they did celebrate it every year, right? Not exactly. The next one was 16 years later and Unfortunately, it was because the Puritans were celebrating the massacre of the Pequot tribe. Back then, Thanksgiving was also for families, specifically murdering them. Okay, we get it. History is awful. The Puritans were terrible. And now we have to let our children know that the holiday started with tons of killings. Happy? Well, we actually have just about everything wrong with the Thanksgiving myth. Definitely didn't wear these buckle hats. Didn't land on Plymouth Rock. As for that turkey... Oh, no, not turkey. More like venison, fowl, and eel. Oh, who cares about how this stupid holiday got started anyway? Exactly. In George Washington's 1789 Thanksgiving proclamation, the settlers aren't mentioned not even once. Thanksgiving wasn't celebrated nationwide until 1863 when this guy declared it a national holiday during the Civil War in order to bring the country together. That's why all of our foods are from the 19th century. So Lincoln came up with the whole Indian pilgrim story. Nope. That myth didn't catch on until the 1900s after we had fought and killed all the Native Americans. And then we put it into textbooks as fact. Because America. But... The food is really good, and if you ignore all the terrible history, like, you know, the murdering, the raping, the pillaging, it's still kind of a great holiday. Mm. 
So the Mayflower is a lie. Why do we eat cranberry sauce? What about stuffing? Is Black Friday really just a capitalist conspiracy to get poor people to buy things so we can't truly live out a populist revolt? Or is it really in America? Is this really in America? And what about corn? I am never telling you the truth ever again. <laughs> hip hip hooray to our AV guys. Thank you, Russell and Larry. <laughs> So this more accurate history of Thanksgiving reminds us aggressors around the world, both in the past and today, they don't, sit, they don't act from a single ideology or religious theology or set of circumstances. Nicholas um, Terpstra, he's a scholar, And he traces the roots of this violence in his book, Religious Refugees in the Early Modern World. The religious refugee first emerged as a mass phenomenon in the late 15th century. Over the following two and a half century, millions of Jews, Muslims, and Christians were forced from their homes and into temporary or permanent exile. Their migrations across Europe and around the globe shaped the early modern world and profoundly affected literature, art, and culture. Economic and political factors drove many expulsions, but religion was the factor most commonly used to justify them. Reformers' ambitions to purify individuals and society fueled movements to purge ideas and objects and people considered religiously alien or spiritually contagious. These historical patterns can still account for growing numbers of modern religious refugees. So what do we do with ourselves this Thursday? I don't say don't enjoy it, but we need to understand we are not reenacting history on Thanksgiving. We can be sensitive to Native American citizens who consider the holiday a disgusting celebration of massacres. As Unitarian Universalists, we're a religious tradition opposed to notions of purity and dogma. So I say, consider taking one gesture, one symbolic nod to these horrors in your Thanksgiving celebrations. Remember, we can hold on to conflicting truth and ambiguities as at the core of our tradition. Indeed, fully enjoy the true and uplifting universal values of modern-day thanksgiving, gratitude, feasting, and sharing. Those are universal virtues. May we all enjoy the food, the company, the generosity, and may we fully recognize our safety and security. At the same time, don't neglect to mention the past and present violence. Take Martin Luther Jr. 
Martin Luther King Jr.'s words to heart. Justice too long today for a desperate refugee family is justice denied. So perhaps set an empty place to represent a refugee from the past or present who cannot join in the comfort and bounty at your Thanksgiving table. Make a call to Congress, our governor and mayor, urging them not to turn their backs on the millions of refugees seeking safe haven in the U.S. Our Unitarian Universalist Service Committee, they have a website where you can read more and make a donation that you know will help. And down the road, as I wrote this, I wondered... When we have these discussions, when we think about it, when we take time, would hope become a sanctuary church? Would individuals here house refugees if the wider community organized an effort? Can we interrupt the simplistic and fear-based reactions claiming refugees are terrorists? They are trying to escape extremist violence, the same form of violence at the founding of our country. So may we give thanks and not forget all who are without a home, security, and loved ones. May it be so.